oh, 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 it's Mac and Bo on your radio, baby. This is my friend, Matt. Posh, come on, Posh. This is my friend, T-Bone. What's up, the fun? I can't go to work without listening to Mac and Bone. Do it live. Doing it live here on a Monday. It's the Mac and Bone Show. T-Bone here alongside Flounder. We will have Mac back in full um, tomorrow. I got to tell you, I love my man Mac. But, you know, it's not It's not bad. It's not. Uh-oh. No, no, no. I, I, you know, he comes back and we're family. I love him like a brother. It's not bad to get a day where I don't have to look at him wiggling his toes at me. There's not these violent smells that come from his area. I just, you know, not bad. To, I, I miss him. Not it's not the worst thing to have a little bit more class to the radio program here on this day. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's you're averaging about one mistake per segment. So let's be uh, honest, though. That's about my average. Yeah, it's I just mean, amplified yeah. a little bit more because I'm the I'm the I'm the the conductor. I'm 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 driving this train. I choo-choo. think we're I'm the I'm the choo choo man. I think we're missing the energy though, just a little bit. I mean, not everybody can be this man. I'm a human coffee bean, baby. I make my own energy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it's just not everybody can uh, be like that. But yeah, no, we're holding it down for him. Hopefully, he's succeeding up there, coaching those guys up on the sideline. You know? Yeah, come on. That's what they're come hearing. On, That's baby. what they're hearing right now. Yeah, that makes me want to run through a wall in more ways than one. <laughs> the Charlotte Comfort Systems temperature right now. It's cold out there as Mac is trying to coach a soccer team 35 degrees choose local choose charlotte comfort at charlottecomfortsystems.com we just uh you know criticize the the pretty lame dunk contest but i think the dunk contest pales in comparison flounder to what what did we witness last night i, I said when the show began it doesn't even feel right to read off a score like this but if case you missed it the Eastern Conference beat the Western Conference last night, <laughs> 211 to 186 in the highest scoring All-Star game ever. Now, in the scheme of everything, do All-Star games matter? No, but it's gotten out of hand here where they're not even putting in any sort of effort to make it competitive in any sense or form. Not that the scores can't be competitive, but... It's not even a pickup game anymore, is it? No, that's the, and that's the problem, right? Because, I, I mean, I was saying this last night when I was watching the game. I, I don't understand, like, is there no pride in winning a game? Like, I, I don't know about you, but in the rare moments where I played pickup before I became fat, I what no matter what. When's the last was, time you, you? When's the last time you played pickup? Man, uh Probably first year of college, and that was okay. at SPCC. So we're talking 2015. Do you know that sometimes I go I go shoot at the the YMCA in Mooresville? Is right really? Across, it's right across from where I live. But oh, do you okay. know that uh, my my biggest fear is when they ask me to be in the games because I'm just I, I won't. You don't even want to be the guy that just, I just stands in I the just, corner. And I want I want to work on my game, work on okay. my craft, and work my way up to the games. Gotcha. But every time I'm there, How they're close like, are you? they're like, "Hey man, come out and play." I, I'm about a year away from playing the game. <laughs> <laughs> but that, but I think, but All I right. do. Well, that's I not, do that's think not though, bad. I guess I, I tweeted it out last night, and the snarky Darren Gay tried to make fun of me. I think it, when you watch that game last night, I think I could score. 15 points in an all-star I game. mean, they don't defend you. That's they, what I'm they, they literally let Jokic and Doncic just walk to the basket at one point. And I mean, it's not, oh, that's a figure of speech. There was one point where Luka literally did not run. He was walking 
looked like our old boss Terry Fox walking to the rim and just laying one up. I, I just it does not make any sense. I don't know how people are entertained by this. Like, is there? This is my question. Is anybody actually entertained watching this anymore? No, I had to. I had to turn it off. And apparently, when I turned it off, Carl Anthony Towns scored fifty points off the bench. I don't know how he got the fifty. Uh, apparently, he was just. I mean, the East uh, had three different guys that scored over thirty points in this and, game. And like, I know, I know it's you know you could say well it's not, it's it's for kids watching all the stars. Well, all right, say it's say all right it's for the children. Well, then why does this thing not really get started till right before nine p.m. When I was growing up, it used to be an afternoon game. It used to be on, and you know when Magic hit that. This, the 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 hook shot after he had to leave because of HIV like that was an all star moment that will never be forgotten. A lot of the moments of those times were in the afternoon. Yeah, you could say, well, it's for kids back then. If this is for kids, and I know it's a holiday, but why is this not being played till nine p.m.? Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's not for kids then. It's for older people. And no, and who's staying awake for that last night? Nobody. Who watched the end of that thing last night? If you did, I got questions about your life. I gotta be honest. It was on, and. I didn't even realize I looked up and I was like, oh, the game's over. I didn't even re- like I just I tuned out after like the first couple of minutes because I was like, yeah, this is exactly what we thought it was going to be. So send in your thoughts like, on the All-Star game. 704-570-9610. Wanted to talk a little of the uh, the ACC teams. We talked a lot of Charlotte in the first hour, a lot of Wake, a lot of South. We hit on all the teams, but we kind of saved a little bit of uh, a little more meat of UNC Duke here. For this segment, Flounder, your heels win 96-81 against Virginia Tech on Saturday. Some good. Cormac Ryan goes four for seven from three. Yes. Baycott and Davis go uh, for 45 combined. And and Harrison Ingram had a typical Harrison Ingram game, 12.17 rebounds. What was your reaction in that effort, the bounce-back effort, from what you saw uh, against Q's during the week? I mean, look, you got to feel pretty good about it. I, I I would say that you can't put a ton of stock into the game. Like, look, if this team goes out, turns around, and loses at Virginia in, like, blowout fashion or something, we're not going to say, well, you know, they beat Virginia Tech, so at least we got that going for us. I, I think it was what the team needed. It was a game at home. Uh, they, they pretty much, I mean, now they've got Virginia and Duke on the road. And, and the thing for those games is we've worried about the energy with this team. It's at, at times, neither one of those games you should have to be concerned about. I thought in this game, the energy was good early on. They got out to, you know, a, a nice start, which was something they hadn't been doing. And I, I thought, you know, for the most part, they were very efficient offensively because they went inside to Armando Baycott. I think that's the recipe, right? Until people prove they can stop you, you need to go inside to Armando. He is playing a lot better, man. His last five, six games, I forget which one it is, he's averaging like 19.5 per game. They made the effort to get the ball to him more, too. Sometimes they get away from that. Once, yeah. once they consistently, he was sealing guys off and in the look paint. At, look at the, he was, how much foul trouble did he get Virginia Tech into, man? All of them. Like every guy, every guy they rolled, they rolled out there. He found a way to get them into foul trouble. So to me, like that should be the plan play inside out because you also saw this team get downhill. The guards were trying to attack the basket that had disappeared in the last few games. And I get it. The zone is, is supposed to cut that off, but man, that that's what you want to be encouraged about. And I thought defensively, I don't know about you. I thought they played better than the 81 points they allowed. I thought it was just with Baycott in foul trouble, it was hard to defend the way they wanted to. Yeah, it felt much like Duke, although Duke was a little bit of a closer score along the way. It never felt like the heels were in danger. You kept waiting for them to just 
maybe go up 20 and just put it away completely. Never happened, but never felt the heels were in any sort of uh, trouble in that game. Virginia is their next game on Saturday. They're off during the week. One thing to watch in that game is, is Elliot Cadeau's turnovers. He's got five turnovers, two of the last three games against Virginia. Got to take care of that ball, man. Yes. If you turn it over five times against Virginia, like he has done in a couple of these games, uh, that'll spell trouble. Duke wins 76-67. Jared McCain had an absolutely just ridiculous first half. He had 25 points in the first half. They got away from him a little bit in the second half as Florida State made some adjustments, finished with 35 points, tying a Duke freshman record with Zion Williamson from 2019. I said it last week. I now believe it. Jared McCain, whether it's the rebounding, the steals, the shooting, he is Duke's best player. Uh, that doesn't mean there are not times when Roach takes over end of games or Filipowski uh, can go off. Filipowski, to me, has been good this year. He has not been great. He can still be a major factor. I don't mean that. But Jared McCain, there is a moment in that game, Flounder, end of the game, where I said, yep, this is becoming his team. Here's what it was. Very subtle moment. End of the game, Florida State is fouling. And Duke is huddling up. Who called the huddle? McCain called the guys over. Who spoke in the huddle? And this is with Filipowski, with Roach, with Mitchell, with the veterans. Jared McCain was telling those guys the end-of-game strategy. Not to say that Roach is not a leader, but McCain has now taken over the leadership, the scoring, the, re- the rebounding. He's their best player. Now, I think you kind of have an idea of who your Tar Heels are. If yes. they defend, if they get Baycott the ball, they're a Final Four team. Duke is 15-2 and two in their last 17 games, and I'm still trying to figure out where this could go. I'm not saying it could it's going to go bad necessarily, but are they going to run into a matchup in the second round like last year where a team is too physical, or are they going to be a team that because McCain is that good, because they have Roach, because they have these guys, they could make a final four run. You could sell me on anything happening for Duke as we approach March. I really don't have an idea still of who them. Now, they could go win the ACC tournament, for all we know, and they very well may. I just don't know still what exactly they are when it comes to the NCAA tournament. Well, I mean, McCain breaking out the way that he is, I think probably gives you a little bit more confidence that they'll be able to make a run because, you know, in a game where teams going inside on you, He's like we unreal, saw Carolina man. do inside against Filipowski, teams that can score inside because they don't have that rim protector. That's the biggest concern, but this is a guy that, hey, in one of those games, you got a, a a guy on the other end, on the offensive side of the ball, that could just light it up and keep you around and give you a chance to win the game late. I'm getting I think, J.J. Redick, Jay Williams-type vibes from him a little bit, the way he yeah. shoots it. And I don't mean like what they became in their careers at Duke. You have to go back to when they were just freshmen and the progress that they made in terms of the, the leadership, the ball, all that he does – He's got the the look of all. Now, does he stay around? I don't know. I don't want to talk about it right now. But he he's got the look of those great players that we saw a couple of decades ago. And it's 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 needed because Tyrese Proctor. I mean, wh- what what is he going to be at this point? I mean, I know he didn't play the other day, but I mean, they, they thought that that he was the guy that they could count on as their their leader, their guy that would control everything offensively. It feels like McCain's starting to settle into that role. And then, you know, you look at what Jeremy Roach has become. He's fill, he, he's fit into that role very well. And Filipowski, as you mentioned, I mean, the other day, 
you know, just eight points, but he's had moments where he, he can be the player that you expected him to be coming in. If you can get those three guys playing well, we talked about how important Proctor was. We You need Proctor to be really good in order for you to make a run. I still think you want Proctor to be good, and it'll help you out, but I got to be honest, if Jared McCain's going to play this way, I don't know if you if you absolutely need it. I, I think that three of McCain, Roach, and Filipowski could carry it. Big four, because I throw Mark Mitchell in there as well. Yeah, that's true. And yep. you know, uh, sometimes he has, I, I call it the shot out of a cannon halves, where it's like, oh, oh, Mark Mitchell's dominating. And sometimes he doesn't always, but he's still a major factor. If you have Roach, especially end of the game where he's just a stud, if you have Roach, McCain, Flip playing at a high level, and Mark Mitchell, then you just hope that, hey, whatever you get from Proctor and Foster yeah. can help. Because Foster is a multi-year guy, and I don't know about Proctor at this point, what's going to happen there with his future. But I look at it as, you know, you get those big four and just hope that Foster or Proctor keeps emerging in their roles. You get something out of one of those guys because McCain has been so great that he's sort of taken away the loss of what we thought Proctor was going to be. It's the Mac and Bone Show here on a Monday when we come back. We're going to turn our attention to the Panthers. John Ellis of One Panther Place talks about the offseason. Pick 33 in his take on DK Metcalf, possibly on the market. Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNZ. and bone show as we're trying to figure out a way to replace the energy that is mac and one man came to mind that is john ellis he's on twitter or x whatever we call it at one panther place he's the host of game on on fox sports upstate uh great great panther coverage with the roar and many other uh panther platforms john welcome in congratulations you get to replace the energy of mac today Oh, boy, geez, they talk about pressure. Okay, <laughs> right off the bat, let's go. What do I do? Do I start screaming, doing some wacky bits here? That's uh, a tough man to replace. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I've, uh, I've covered the mistakes that he makes. I've got a number of those on the docket today, <laughs> but uh, we're moving on from those. John, before we get into the current state of the Panthers and where they go from here this offseason, what's your assessment of a Panther of the past in Luke Keekley and his chances of being a first ballot Hall of Famer uh, in 2025? Yeah, I think you look at, uh, yeah, obviously Luke's career was amazing. We saw in a very short span of time uh, that middle linebacker do some things we haven't seen a lot of players in that stadium do in terms of making an impact. Uh, A couple of plays that come to mind with Luke, talking about the game in Dallas on Thanksgiving back in 2015 where he just uh, comes off his coverage, comes off that route, and undercuts Cole Beasley and takes the pick six home for a touchdown. And it's just the things he would do in the run game in terms of just filling the run. He and Thomas Davis together were just, just such a great tandem. And I think without a doubt, I mean, you look at a career like Pepper's first ballot Hall of Famer, same type of impact on and off the field here in the community for Luke Keekley, And a guy that uh, who knows what the numbers would have been had he chosen to play longer, certainly respect his decision. He's still there doing it on the radio side now. But uh, I, I think you look at a guy like Luke and his absence uh, has been felt you know, far and wide with this franchise, not just in terms of the locker room, but production. Guys like Frankie Louvu trying to fill that role, but most certainly first ballot to me, no doubt. 
Hey, John, I uh, wanted to ask you, there's some rumors going on, uh, you know, around DK Metcalf out in Seattle. Uh, a lot of people think he could be, you know, in a situation kind of like A.J. Brown, Tyreek Hill, where they end up trading him despite how much success he has had. What what do you think the Panthers' interest level should be in a deal for him? Because, I mean, there are some elements to it. I said earlier, you know, a guy that would only have two years left on his deal, you're paying him 24 and $29 million respectively over the next two years. What do you think about the Panthers getting involved in that? Well, it's interesting. You know, I hear that rumor, too, and obviously you connect the dots between Dave Canales and a lot of uh, the guys that he's brought in and a guy like DK who worked directly with Dave there in Seattle. Certainly, DK, to me, still has some of that top-line top type of talent and separation for a guy that size, even at his age. Don't know if I'm interested, if I'm Carolina in – you know, putting more draft capital on the line, even for a veteran right now. Uh, I think you've got some options in free agency. It's interesting. I don't know if they'll make that call. I, I think there's a lot of, even though it's um, it's a good move on the surface, you've got the whole Scott Fitter, Seattle angle, going back to the well with we're in on every deal. Maybe we step back from that one and say, for a lot of reasons, let's be a little more modest in free agency this year look second, third round for maybe a receiver we can develop. But uh, you're going to start to hear a lot of rumors like that for sure, and certainly you can connect some thoughts between the new head coach and that very talented receiver. That is the voice of John Ellis at One Panther Place and many other platforms with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. When we're talking about acquiring a player, the magnitude of DK Metcalf, the, the natural name that would come up in something like that would be Brian Burns. But just in general with Brian Burns, how do you think this plays out here with, with him and his contract situation? You know, every day I go through this Brian Burns thing, Bone, and I, I come back to the, the franchise tag probably being the most likely guess that I could give right now. Yes, I think Brian really wants to be here. I just don't think he wants to be here at the number that Carolina so far has pitched out there to him. I, I think, you know, good for Brian for standing his ground, and he feels his value is what it is. What that number is, I don't know but I would suspect we're looking at somewhere around the Max Crosby range. And I think you look at his production last year, I'd probably be the first to tell you that's something that needs to improve. He plays through injuries, you play through a little pain, and you worry, as he talked about there at the end of the season, hey, at any moment, I don't have that new deal. I can snap my leg in half, something could happen. I got to get paid. I don't think he gave minimum effort as a result, but I think what happened at the beginning of last year was a real kind of dark cloud over the team. I and mean, he was a hold-in type of guy. He didn't hold out. But to start the season that way, I'm not suggesting this was the reason they started poorly. But to have your premium edge rusher not taken care of by week one, and certainly there's some high demands from Brian Burns' camp as well, that just didn't feel like it was you know, going to be a good situation. Credit to Burns for making it work. I think franchise tag ultimately is what's going to happen, and I think they'll try to work towards a long-term deal. But uh, never say never. They had two first-rounders on the table for Brian Burns. They said no to that. So uh, they clearly somebody in that building really likes the guy. We'll uh, see if that guy is still in the building now. John, when it comes to the offensive line, you know, a lot of people have been talking this offseason and they believe that, you know, with Brady Christensen coming back, with Austin Corbett hopefully fully healthy this season, uh, that maybe that that was just the biggest issue with this team last year and that they don't really need to do much along the offensive line to address it. What do you think about those thoughts 
Or, or do you think they should be aggressive in, in trying to get some help at one of those spots along the offensive front? Yeah, that's a great question. I think the offensive line, in particular the interior, is, is a major project for this team. But I'm not suggesting they go out and spend uh, top draft capital or top free agent dollar on this uh, position. But there's going to have to be some real hard talks about the evaluation of Chandler Zavala. Is there going to be something more from him? We like him coming out of NC State. But you remember, a lot of these mid-late round picks do not pan out and certainly had struggles last year. You look at Austin Corbett. To me, he's a keeper, but you got to stay healthy. That's two knee injuries uh, within a calendar year he had, and that's a huge setback. Bozeman, I like too. I think Bozeman thrives more with Steve Wilkes here and Ben McAdoo with power scheme running, and they got away from that a little bit, Frank. got a little bit exposed, I thought, and left the guard, obviously, with Christensen. Yes, serviceable. I'm not sure if he's top-line talent, and I think there's a real discussion to be had about Aquanis. I like him at left tackle, but as one scout that was with that team evaluating Aquanu with the rest of the scouting department and our good friend Matt Rule was saying, hey, there was a real conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I found that guy. (laughs) There's a real conversation, according to my buddy here, that, uh, look, if it doesn't work out at left tackle within a reasonable amount of time here, we can kick him into left guard. we got an all-pro probably. So that's something I would keep an eye on. That leaves left tackle a void. But I think Aquano stays there, and I think you've got to be bigger, stronger, more physical. Randy Mueller talked about this. When they brought in Drew Brees, a little undersized, one of the first things they did, they went out and they got guys like Evans at guard. They went out and they got very good tenure guys like Jeff Fain at center back in 2006, and that was instrumental for a guy like Drew Brees. What they went through last year, injuries are going to happen. You can't have eight starters on the left guard, seven at right guard. It was horrible. But even so, your backups need to be a little more prepared and ready to go. And the scheme. I think Dave Canales will mask a lot of that. I I thought last year's staff, I came in with high hopes. It was the worst I've ever seen in terms of insulating your quarterback with offensive line play. So I think coaching will help. Development will help. Continuity will help. They've got to get a little better on the inside. John Ellis with us on the Body Works Plus guest hotline. You mentioned Icky there in your answer. We had a topic late last week on the the pressure, uh, who's under the most pressure for the players next season. And it turns out that the three guys we were thinking of, uh, Icky, Horn, and Bryce Young, are the last three first-round draft choices for the Panthers. When you look at those three players, who do you have the most faith in going forward for this franchise? Horn, Icky, or Bryce? Yeah, I'm going to say Bryce at this point. Uh, and I still have faith in, in each of those guys to, to have a certain role with this team moving forward. You look at the history of first-round picks in general, even top 10 picks, and it's a mixed bag, guys. It's a crapshoot. These things happen. We get so caught up in evaluating the player, we forget his destination, and uh, the surroundings thereof can impact their development. In a situation with Horn. I don't like you know using the injury-prone label. It's just really bad luck for the kid that he can't stay on the field. That said, this is the year. I mean, he's got to give us you know, 15, 16 games, if you're a Panthers staff here, to fairly evaluate what you've got. You know you've got a great corner out there that can make plays. But if we get into a situation again where you're looking at maybe seven, eight starts and the rest of the season you're on the shelf, that becomes very problematic. And I'll say this, Icky, to me he's a better left guard than left tackle. I think 
they've got to really consider that, but I'm not at the point now where I'm ready to write them off. And you mentioned J.C. Horn. There's two position groups right now that I feel are just fundamentally important for them to get extremely solidified. Number one would be the interior offensive line, and number two is corner. Because I don't know what their plans are for Dante Jackson. I like the guy, but I think it's a new staff. They might be moving in a different direction, although Evero's back. He only had one year with him. Henderson's on the way out, I'm sure. And at that point, you listen to this test. This will get you. So, last year, Derek Brown had one interception. That tied uh, for second uh, on the team with the rest of the cornerback group, all of them. Only one other corner had a pick. So, you had Sam, I'm sorry, Von Bell had two of them, I think. And then, obviously, uh, you know, it was Xavier Woods. I'm sorry, guys, a little early here. Woods had oh, right. yeah, two of them. And then Derek Brown had one. And then the rest of the corner a group combined had one. And it was just very, very insufficient in terms of making plays. Oh, to answer your question, long story short, Bryce to me, especially working with Dave, the new head coach, Canales, uh, I think he's going to be just fine. I, I really think last year was just horrible coaching. And uh, I still think you're going to get a really good uh, year out of Bryce Young here. John, let me throw you another one that we talked about late last week. You know, it seems like wide receiver and offensive line are the most obvious needs right now. But when you go to that third need, tight end's been talked about, edge rusher. What do you think's the most important thing outside of a receiver and offensive line to help Bryce that this team needs moving forward into next year? Yeah, no doubt. You mentioned tight end. That's critical here. You know, Hayden Hurst, we know his story. Uh, one that uh, we, we wish him the best with. And, you know, he can still make a pretty significant impact here. Ian Thomas, I'm thinking that's probably something they may look to move off of. And I think everywhere Dave Canales has been, uh, all of his stops there, you look at tight end production, it's been uh, a variable component of their offense. Kay Dodson uh, coming to mind here last year when he had some nice moments. I don't know if they're going to be using uh, the tight end in the ways that we've seen here in the past uh, in terms of more blocking. You might find a good hybrid tight end in the draft you can put out there and develop. But uh, there's some guys in the free agent market, too. I think that position group um, is critical. I, I think one thing to keep in mind, too, this is on the broader spectrum here of your financial planning, something that has not always been uh, <laughs> for a guy that owns the team that knows a thing or two about money. Capital seems to just leak out from everywhere in that building, either the draft capital, overpaying for contracts, not paying the right guys' contracts. I think they need to be prudent this year about their spending. And I, that's the one piece of advice, if he would even take it, <laughs> with those eyes staring right back at me for the GM, Dan Morgan. Spend wisely, spend prudently, and start thinking about 2025. When John Fox and Marty Herney took over things in 2002, that's kind of the similar track. Seifert left them a nice parting gift with a good draft. He got out of the building. Fox came in, and they cobbled together with what they had, a seven-win season by not spending too much out there in free agency. You reserve a little bit of that for year two. Then you can go get one or two guys like a Stephen Davis, a Ricky Pearl, a Kevin Dyson, add to the defense, and I think that's the idea there. But, no, man, you look at this league, you look at the tight end play, uh, boy, if they could have a chance to have a guy like Brock Bowers, which they won't, that would be transformative, but I think at this point it's more realistic to look towards the free agent market and see what they can find. One other guy that's on the market again is Hunter Renfro from the Raiders, uh, John. And I know that you cover Clemson as well. Does does the name Hunter Renfro make sense to you? 
for what the Panthers need. It's come up before, but it seems to be one that uh, often comes up in discussions here. Yeah, another Clemson player that uh, the Panthers did not draft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for many. <laughs> I I love Hunter Renfro. I love his game, and I think uh, this is another case of a guy who had great production with the right coaching, and then all of a sudden uh, he gets in a situation where a coach somehow, some way can't find a way to use him in Josh McDaniels, and you saw things got better when Pierce took over. The only problem I have with this is it's a redundancy to me because what Thielen, assuming he comes back, and I would like to see that happen, gives you is, you know, he's not the exact prototype as a Hunter Renfro, but what he does playing in that wide position, playing uh, in the slot in any offense, and that's where he plays the majority of the snaps, you have some redundancy issues there in terms of what you can do with Renfro snap count-wise. So I think you've got to look more for the boundary X guys that are available there. Uh, you can look to the draft of guys like Keon Coleman. Uh, Worthy from Texas comes to mind in terms of his speed and breakaway ability. And then the free agent market is interesting because you talk about Renfro. Uh, you know, I said the T. Higgins thing, I think he's getting franchised. He's a local guy. I'd like to see that. Mike Evans, never say never there because Dave Canales and Mike get along well, and he's 30 years old. But, boy, he's a Panthers killer. We've seen over the years what he can oh. do. You want to go more modest, Calvin Ridley makes sense. And I really like Marquise Brown. I liked him last year. I like uh, what he brings in line speed-wise. And there's a name out here like uh, Gabriel Davis. You could uh, look in that direction, Darnell Mooney. These are not sexy names, I get it. Tyler Boyd's available, too. you got to look at guys who can get off the jam, who can separate. And uh, guys that can just give Bryce an opportunity to make a play by simply getting a little more open than what we're seeing now. And they need at least one guy to do that on the boundary. I don't think Renfro's the answer there, but uh, I certainly think he'll catch 100 balls somewhere in that role. John, you're the best, man. Go ahead, promote your content where we can find you and all this stuff you're talking about here. Uh, it's awesome, man. Thank you. Uh, you can hear us Fox Sports Upstate, iHeartRadio, and it's going to be 4 to 6 p.m. weekdays on Game On. And then you got the Roar Podcast, uh, the Brains of the Operations, Billy Marshall. I just push the buttons and keep him in line. And you can hear that on uh, Blue Wire Pods. Uh, one Panther Plate on Twitter. And, uh, yeah, we got the Ingles Countdown to Tip-Ball Show, also on WEC, uh, covering Clemson men's hoops. And you know what? They keep breaking our hearts, the officiating, all this stuff, and we're worried down here again. We're going to get left out. I think Brunel's team is uh, heading to the dance. But, boy, the ACC, I can't keep track of it all, man. It's been a wild year in the Atlantic Coast Conference. I don't know why a Clemson fan would be mad at the referees at all this basketball season. John, thank you so much for joining us, man. We appreciate it. <laughs> Salute to you, my friend. There you go. That's the the great John Ellis. Check out all the content he was promoting there. This segment is sponsored by North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. NC Medicaid is free for people like you. Full health care coverage at low or no cost. Doctors visits, ER rooms, and prescriptions. See if you qualify at medicaid.nc.gov. When we come back, yeah, the dunk contest didn't wow us this weekend. But we're going to talk about and ask the audience, what are your favorite dunks ever dunk contest in game something you saw along the way in your everyday life the only caveat is one dunk is banned that we won't talk about sports radio 92.7 wfnz Jerry B, what is is there a greatest dunk you've seen in person? The greatest dunk I ever saw was in a schoolyard in Queens, New York City. <laughs> oh my back God. in the day. Herbie Larkin. This guy jumped higher than God. 
He challenged God to a dunking contest. God said, uh, I got something I got to do. I'll be back. Never. <laughs> I saw him go up on a guy in a summer league game. It was the most vicious tomahawk dunk. And he threw it down over this guy. And, and families were falling out of apartment windows all over Queens. Oh, oh man, I love, that's a good pull there, Flounder. Hey, my family lives in Queens, so they yeah. were falling out of their windows, too. Hey. Welcome back oh, to the Mac no. and Bone Show. Bone here, of course, that was the late, great Jerry V uh, telling us a story. That might have been uh, my favorite Jerry V story. Iconic moment. Just families falling out of windows, and, and God was involved. We know that Jerry V is up there right now, probably talking to God about some of these same stories that he told us about. But that was Jerry V's favorite dunk ever. Our topic now is your favorite all-time dunks, ones you can go to YouTube and watch all the time, whether it's a dunk contest, uh, in-game, whether it's something that you saw in person maybe, like Jerry V was talking about. What are your favorite in-game dunks ever? The one caveat here I mentioned, the one that's banned is I don't want to hear about the felonious assault that Danny Green committed against all Greg right, Paulus. All right, well, that's, that's number one Danny on Green, list. Greg that's, Paulus, off the off. table, right? There, it's still, okay. There's still legalities there of what occurred. Okay. Uh, there's never been an apology for what Danny Green did. I don't want anyone bringing up Danny Green to what he unfortunately did to Greg Paulus. How about what John what defense, Henson... What a defensive play where he stood in there, too, by the way. Never what, gets credit for that. What about the one where John Henson dunks over Marshall Plumley? Can we... Uh, Never, never even, don't even remember that one at all. Okay, okay. Yeah, no, no, again, but they, bring up what you want here. The Danny Green one that gets, you know, oh, it's a great, no, it's enough. It's enough of that. But my favorite one ever. Here we go. I got to say, sometimes there, when it comes to the NBA ones, there's there's stories that go um, behind it. Vince Carter yammed so bad on Alonzo Mourning. And he kept, like, skying upwards. When Alonzo was on the heat, Vince was on the nets. He dunked on him so bad that the story goes, Alonzo Mourning wouldn't look at or speak to Vince Carter for six straight years. It wasn't until they were both at an Obama uh, an Obama dinner that Alonzo showed up and he finally had to speak to Vince Carter six years later. When you dunked on a guy so badly, he wouldn't look your direction for six years. I think that right there is the list of all-time dunks on the list. I it's Yeah, it's got to be... It's got to be up there. That story is just unbelievable. And by the uh, way, that story I told comes from Vince Carter. That's not like uh, down the line. That comes from Vince Carter himself. That Alonzo Mourning was so hurt by that dunk, their friendship ended. And it, it's the thing is, is it's not shocking because unfortunately we've heard similar stories about Alonzo yeah, yeah. outside of that. Um, I mean, there's so many that you could pick from Vince. I mean, even going back to his days at Carolina, I mean, he had one dunk off an inbound against Duke. That was unbelievable. Um, he had another one off an inbound against Clemson that many people will remember as well. I mean, they were just the best, I think, in-game and potentially dunk contest dunker as well. I mean, what did what was the one that he did in the dunk contest? What did they call it? Like the honey dip or something like yeah, that? Where he puts his yeah, elbow yeah. inside the rim and just hangs there. That one was crazy. My favorite NBA dunk of all time. And now, again, it's just watching off of highlights yep. because I was not right. alive for this. Sean Sean Kemp's dunk over Alston Lister is Alton Lister, yeah. And that is one of the greatest dunks ever. I mean, got, just ferocious, and then points at him with both fingers as he's going back down the floor. 
Holy crap, that is an unbelievable. I, I think Sean Kemp is the best in-game dunker ever. Really? Uh, yes. With the ferocity. Now, he didn't do it forever. He had about a five-year run there when he was really uh, gamming on people. That one right there, there's a backstory to that, too. They got That was a playoff game. And they got into a they got into a dust up the game before, and Sean Kemp's revenge was that dunk. That's why he pointed at him because he told him he was going to get him. Yeah, so that makes it even worse that he knew it was coming. Oh, that's in. How about John Starks versus the Bulls? Oh man, Jordan obviously had some too. But when yes. John, John Starks does a little reverse baseline move, and he gets Michael Jordan. I watched that one live as a kid. That's one of my highlights. Oh, that's, of my- that's, yeah, that's an, one of my all-time favorites. We're getting a lot no of uh, Jerry Stackhouse versus Duke. When Oh, that's a great one. Where Dickie V goes nuts. Remember that one? Oh, he's jamming. He's jamming. That's a that's an all-time uh, Dick Vitale call. Send in your 704-570-9610 on the WFNZ FanDuel text line. I know Colin Hogger is out there screaming right now about Tom Chambers versus Mark Jackson. Uh, Tom Chambers as a son, Mark Jackson as a Nick. <laughs> when, uh, I, when I say Tom Chambers like elevated like he was on a rocket ship and he kept going higher and higher, I think that's where Mark Jackson uh, coined the term "Mama, there goes that man again." Because we've never seen a guy. I don't know if Tom Chambers ever came back down again from that dunk. He was skying so high and just put it right on top of a uh, Mark Jackson. Yeah, it's definitely. One you would not expect for sure. And of course it happens against the Knicks, Boney. I mean, yeah. there, there are so many great ones, but yeah, I mean, just a full, a full poster eyes of Mark Jackson. That one was definitely uh, unbelievable. The thing is, is I'm trying to remember like ones here recently. I mean, LeBron's dunk over the Celtics in the playoffs during the, he caught Jason run. Terry, right? Remember he, yes. caught, he caught a body, right? And Jason, Jason Terry, I think, retired after that movie. We got a couple more here. Grant Hill had an incredible one in the game in the NCAA tournament in the finals against, I believe that was the the Michigan one, yeah, where he caught the ball on the lob, where it was, that's that wasn't necessarily on somebody, but that was one of those, like, how did he, how did he catch that? Uh, keep sending him in here. Uh, Kevin Johnson had one in 1994, as Sirloin Hater points out against Hakeem Olajuwon in his prime. Kevin Johnson, a 6'1 guard, just absolutely, I mean, I, yeah, that, yeah that, that's up there. That was one watching live. You're like, what? No one really got dreamed that much back then, and he got a guard got him. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, I, I mean, those are the types of Duncan over some of these all-time great blockers, I think is definitely one of them. How about... Uh, the one, uh, this comes in from a 704 number. We definitely should have brought this one up for Vince Carter. The dunk with Team USA over the seven-foot big man from, I think it was, what, France that he dunked yeah, over? Yeah, for a, oh. a Nick draft pick. Oh, there's a, there's a theme here. Frederick Weiss got ju- jumped <laughs> yes. over. Also, remember Blake Griffin when he threw it down on New York Nick Timofey Mozgov? Oh, remember geez. that one where he like, threw it in the hoop? Uh, there's a lot of Knicks that got dunked on here. I've noticed that. I, it, it, it is a common theme, isn't it, Boney? Unfortunately, it was the Kansas. It was the Kansas Finals with Grand Hill, not Michigan. Yeah. There you go. Yep. So that's that's the James remaining point. I forgot which one it was. Uh, I mean, just so many people saying Danny Green. I mean, we know, we get it. All right, you said it. If one person said it, they all said it. Can you get your people to come down here, please? By the way, one that's not being talked about. If you want to go dunk contest, the under both legs. With the uh, over the mascot when 
it, it, people were still not doing it a ton. Uh, Aaron Gordon's dunk in that dunk contest oh, back yeah. in 2016. Amazing. Amazing. Uh, some more coming in here. I know Colin talks about this one a lot. Baron Davis had one over Andre Karolinko. Uh, at the I, well, I, was that one here? I forget who he dunked on the one that was at the Hive in the early 2000s here. That I forget was it over Garnett? Maybe it was Karolinko, I believe. People go nuts over that one. How about this one? A New York Nick got dunked on. <laughs> remember this one isn't all. This one. This is a good point here. By uh, I'm trying to remember here. 704 pointed out. Scotty Pippen got Patrick Ewing real bad, really, really bad. Where he dunked on him and then shoved him shoved him yeah. and then stood over top of him. And that's his own dream team teammate. That was a bad one. Remember shocking that Scotty Pippen would hate somebody though, by the way, that's there is stunning. A, there is a, uh, it was over Kevin Garnett at the hive. Thank you. Colin. Um, <laughs> another, another Nick got, dunked. how many Nicks got dunked on? Remember this one where Shaq was backing down Chris Dudley when he was a Laker and he, he bodied him up and then he dunked on him pulled up on the rim and then he shoved Chris Dudley down to the ground and Dudley got mad and he tried to throw the ball at the back of Shaq's head. Oh yeah. <laughs> that was a, that was a rough one. What an iconic, but those are the best ones, man. When you get somebody so pissed because of how much you, how bad you dunked over them and they throw the ball that, that one was up there. Another one that came to mind, Boney, I tracked it down. J.R. Smith's dunk with the nuggets back in, uh, 2010 over Gary Neal where he flies (laughs) into him. Gary Neal's about midway in the lane and just slams the ball over him. I mean, J.R. Smith, one of the less talked about great dunkers in the game. Yeah, the the, the, uh, Baron Davis ones, remember there was two. There was the one as a Hornet versus KG. Then there was the one as a Warrior versus Karolinko in that playoff series. That's that's the one. That's the confusion we had there. Remember there was a player, you may not remember, Deron Washington played for Virginia Tech. He got Greg Paulus once, too. And there was also one I'll never forget. Jimmy Dykes called the game. And I'll never forget the call that he had. He said, we don't. (laughs) It's one of the goofiest calls I'll never forget. I forget who he did it against. It might have been Paulus. When he said, we just need to get some peanut butter because we already got the jam in here. It was like 20 years ago. It is still in my head when I think of Jimmy Dykes. Oh, that's iconic. I mean, that's that's right up Jimmy Dykes uh, lane right there. Uh, last one here. Tyler Hansborough over seven foot seven. Kenny George was uh, an iconic one. That was one, too, where it was like he climbed the mountain, right? Where he kept like ascending higher on that. Yeah, that yes, was. Yeah. yeah. All right, send in your dunk, 704-570-9610. We'll read some more at the end of the show. A man that I, I know for a fact never got dunked on in his playing days, Paul Biancardi, the great Paulie, Paulie Buckets from ESPN, talks all things ACC and beyond next on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.